Welcome to Tiki Central Canada. Ever wonder what's in that cool, refreshing drink that you just have to have on that hot summer's day? Mmm, me too. Picture a man going on a journey beyond sight and sound. He has left society. He has entered Tiki Central with palm trees, beach sand, blue skies, and God, get me a drink now. Here's your hosts, Craig, Paula, and Mark, and their wacky views in drinks, life, and maybe information. Hey folks, hey, how we doing? It's Craig here from Tiki Central Canada. I'll be your bartender, your mixologist, and hopefully information for the hour. We'll see how it goes. And uh, yes, we are doing it via internet. This is our first show of the season. Uh, unfortunately, we're still in lockdown here in Ottawa, Ontario, but uh, we're doing what we can do. And we want to make sure we bring the show to you guys. So yes, Mark is on the show with us. How Happy New Year, everyone. Woo! <laughs> I, I love that there was actually a thing it was the other day on uh, Facebook. It's like, it was like, you know, 2020 is over and then they show the first six days of 2021 and it's like Capitol Hill gets invaded. <laughs> I know. Welcome. And the other famous mime that I'm sure everyone has seen so far is the one where it's got Joker on the stairs and uh, he's got the It Joker or the It Clown beside him. And the title says basically like 2020 is showing 2021 the workplace. <laughs> it's going to be a long year. I thought last yeah. year was a long year. We need more. Well, hopefully this blog will help people and uh, and you can enjoy the following 45 minutes or so. There we go. Uh, you'll notice that Paula's not on the show with us. She's actually taking care of her new arrival that came in just in November there last year, uh, Gia. So congratulations, Paula, on your yes. new, uh, yes, new addition to the family. That's right. Yay. And welcome, Yay. Welcome, welcome to Tiki Central Canada family. That's right. Oh, that kid's in trouble now. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, God. So today is actually a very special episode because the entire episode has one major theme to it all the way through the entire episode, and that is one of Mark's favorite bars, which is the Mai Kai. Yes. The yes. Mai Kai. The, uh, the last of the Tiki temples. And, uh, exactly. Yes, exactly. We're going to go more in depth in the Mai Kai. We're going to go more in depth into the bartenders there. And of course, we're going to go more in depth into one of the drinks there. This is a good day. He smiled ear to ear because he's already having a drink or two, so he's on his way. There we go. There we go. <laughs> That's better. All right. So what drink are we talking about from the Mike guy then? So we're going to talk about a classic tiki cocktail called the Last Rites. Like the Last Rites? Like in um, Last Meal? That kind of thing? Uh, sort of. It's Last Rites, R-I-T-E-S. And that's so it's sort of spelled differently, and yes, it does sort of mean the same thing. It's like the last prayers given to an individual on uh, of faith when it's possible, just be- shortly before death or execution. Say someone's uh, terminally ill, sort of. Yeah, so it's the same thing. It's basically like your last uh, cocktail, I guess, before you uh, expire. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see that. Did you uh, off show here? You mentioned about a driver. 
getting his last cocktail right on the track. Yeah, the um, the world champion, uh, Nicky Lauda, he was actually, his car, his Ferrari, I believe, uh, was in an accident and uh, flipped over and caught fire. And uh, he was actually given last rights right on the racetrack. But he survived, went on to win the world championship, start an airline and uh, be a really amazing guy. So it's- uh, Wow. Uh, so last rights doesn't necessarily mean the end. It just could mean a good cocktail. There we go. So question for you, by by the way, Mark. So good cocktail. So what would be your last cocktail if you knew you were on your deathbed? Well, we said either very, very, very like a gallon of cocktail, (laughs) just to try to drag this out and make people wait for me a little longer, or uh, or a zombie so I could perhaps come back. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I definitely would want something with a lot of rum so it could be well-preserved. Yeah. You know, kind of like Nelson's blood kind of thing, where, okay, you put me in a cask of rum, but all, you know- Preserve me for a while. Yeah, barrel of rum. Put me in that barrel. Just don't tap it later on, okay? That's the only thing. (laughs) That would be good. Yeah, don't tap that. No, that's, uh, that was, uh, those guys are desperate. They definitely were back then. Oh my God. Yeah, okay. (laughs) For those people who don't know, go back and listen to the podcast of uh, Nelson's Blood. And it's just like, you'll, you'll hear, you'll learn. It's good. Yes. So we're doing the last rites. Where yes. did the, where did the drink start? Okay, so to start the origin of this drink, we have to go all the way back to Don the Beachcombers. So Mariello Liquidini, I know I pronounced it correctly this time, was the number two bartender for Don the Beachcombers, and he worked for him for sixteen years. So uh, now we have to move forward now a little more towards the present. Bob and Jack Thornton brothers, who actually were regulars at Don the Beachcombers and Trader Vic's. Wanted to open up the bar. So they basically got in contact with Mario Luquidini and bang, bang, bang. And next thing you know, we had the Mai Kai that's opened. Thank goodness. So any comments about the the brothers? Because I know you've got some history on them too as well. Yeah, the brothers, They um, their dad used to take them to the Chicago, down the beachcombers. And then they went forces and they went to school and they went hit all the California bars. So they wanted to open their own tiki bar. And they ended up moving to Fort Lauderdale area. So Oakland is just north of. Fort Lauderdale, the time it's part of it now. And so they kept going back to Don's and they kept uh, talking to this guy, Bob Van Thorpe. And, um, and he ended up, he was one of the uh, seating captains. They had, uh, I think they had like seven or six of them at this place. Place was huge. He was able to convince the number two guy in the, in the kitchen and the number two guy in the bartender, which was Mariano, to come and go to Florida. So in 19, sorry, December 28th, 1956, the Mai Kai opened up in Oakland, Florida. I mean, you've had this conversation before. Oakland, Florida, why Oakland, Florida of all locations? Well, there wasn't anything there at the time and everybody likes working there. Talked to a lot of people. We know a lot of the, uh, the staff there on first name basis now, well, because been there a few times and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they love it there. They love working there. Cool. So they, they took the number two bartender, we talked about Mario Liquidini, and they took the number two chef, Kenny Lee, uh, from Don's and brought him over to the Mai Kai. So why do you think they left? Well, one of the reasons we went into it at the uh, really in depth at the last time we talked about the Mai Kai is that they were the guys there were really loyal to Don, Don himself, Don the Beachcomber, but he had lost control to his ex wife, Sonny. And the managers there who Sonny put in place were not very favorable to the staff there. The staff did not like them. So not only did they not feel any real loyalty towards Sonny and the Don the Beachcomber Chicago, they really wanted to get out of there. And uh, he offered them the chance to, uh, especially Mariano's case, to do whatever you want with the, the bar. So they they left and they were happy to leave. And um, it's a good thing they did because uh, Mariano was amazing. 
Exactly. See, like, one of the things I, I actually want to mention here too, as well, is that I think because they're both were number two, like number two chef, number two bartender, is that you it's easier to pick those guys and poach those guys and move them to another location because they know for one they're not number one, and then and probably there's going to be no movement for a while to move up to the number one spot. And two is that you have no input at all, usually in that situation, in any kind of creativity aspect to the drinks and the food, where Mariano and Kenny Lee knew like if they went over to the Maikai, they would actually have all the power to make the recipes for the drinks and how the drinks would be presented. Like you said, how the bar may have been designed. Uh, I've been in that situation where like I went into a location, uh, fortunately, just prior to COVID, I was going to go work for them. And they never operated a bar before. So they actually were talking to me about me being involved in the design of the bar. And so that is a very powerful thing when you have a passion for it to bring someone over because it's like, yes, I get to have an influence now. I get to be part of it, the whole operations and stuff. That's a big thing to have. Oh, yeah. To be able to, to, be able to make something your baby and to have it function well is uh, pretty amazing. So also, too, we want to talk about is that, so he did actually was a part of or completely part of some of the creations that were at Don's. And so when he moved over to Maikai, he actually transitioned some of the cocktails from Don's over to the Maikai. Uh, I'm sure he probably did some modifications to it just so it wasn't the exact same. But uh, example, so the Cobra's Fang became the Cobra's Kiss. The QB Cooler became the KO Cooler. It is his own version of the Zombie. He did another one called the Deep Sea Diver, which is from the Pearl Diver. So he took a lot of the cocktails that he knew from Don's, uh, either he was part of, and then just sort of modified them and made it into his own version. Oh, yeah. So it's like some of the drinks there are just amazing. Like the um, they make the ice shells still, like they did at Don's, where you uh, crush a whole bunch of ice and you put it in the bottom of a coupe glass and you put it in the freezer. Then you bring it back out after it's frozen and you just kind of slide it up so it makes like this half shell over the top of the glass and you put it back in the freezer. Then you make the drinks from that again. It's uh, beautiful old school stuff and they still do it there. And uh, yeah, because uh, Mario ended up making uh, 48 different cocktails for the Mai Kai. Now, that, that menu, you said itself, it's probably, what, like 50 to 60 drinks at least on the menu? Yeah, I can't remember. I should have counted before. But the like I say, it's a, it's a huge menu, and it's got the all four sides to it have cocktails on it. And even going over to a, they've numerous numbers of martinis, for that matter, and plus the uh, the coffees and the hot drinks. And the, uh, that's one of their popular ones, too, where they you bring the table up there and you do the, the flaming coffee drinks. Their coffee grog, I think it's called. Uh, the drinks are just, uh, there's so many. And- they're all so good. I, I don't know if I've had a drink where I went, eh, they've been, oh, that's not as good as that one, but it's still a good drink. So one of the things also too that he brought over from Don's is that we talked about Don's Beachcombers is that the bartenders were actually usually behind the scenes in a back bar and then they would pass it through a little window to the front bartender. So no one actually saw any of the drinks being made. And so it's the same process he passed over when he went over to the Mai Kai where like there's a back bar. I think you said there's a lazy Susie that the drinks come out and come out of nowhere. Well, you, theoretically, unless you're sitting at a certain part of the bar, you don't even see the lazy Susan because it's like there's a thing in front of it where the cash is. And so the waitresses see that. You don't even see that. So unless you're sitting there and you get the angle seat where you can see the thing actually spin, you don't even see that. If you're sitting at a table, they just appear magically. Well, one of the things actually too, I read, and I don't know if this is the Maikai or is another location where actually the server would take your, your drink order uh, and they'd go over to a corner where there was a plant, like I say, a palm tree or something. And it looks like it was like they're talking to the palm tree, but there actually was like a little intercom 
So you can't even see them passing the order on to the kitchen or the back bar because they're oh, talking to a plant. <laughs> that'd be so cool. I don't think, no, that's definitely not the Mike guy. It's got to be the Luau or uh, Don the Beachcombers. Yes, that's what it was. It was the Luau. You're right. You it's totally right. So back to this drink. Yes. What What are we drinking? Okay, so we're drinking the, the cocktail called The Last Rites. This is a Mariano recipe. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of ingredients. I was very surprised by that. But uh, So I'm going to give you guys the recipe. Now, here's the thing. This is a very booze-forward recipe. And so uh, my recommendation is that, yes, follow the recipe to the T, except for the amount of ounces for the rum. It's all going to be preference. Uh, example, if you're like Paula or Norma, you might put only an ounce of rum or an ounce and a half of rum. This recipe actually has three ounces of Martinique rum. So that's, that's a lot of rum for one cocktail. Uh, and Mark, I think when we, we talked prior to doing the show, you said you actually tried two different Martinique rums. Yes, I, uh, I, I've made this because as soon as you sent me something that said the recipe called for rum agricole, I went, oh, I got to do this. And so I don't have a lot, so any chance I have to drink some other than what I want to drink some is a good thing. So I, tr- the first one, according where you got this from, they, one of the rums they recommend is Clement VSOP, which is a, a higher end and mm-hmm. uh, uh, longer age. And the other one is the one we had for the um, rum tasting, which is St. James. Now, mm-hmm. the VSOP is a, it's a smoother rum. It's aged a bit longer. And so it created a very smooth cocktail, but it was a different feel than you get from the Jamaican rums and the other ones at all. So it has a really nice flavor to it. Whereas the St. James has got more of a funkier, grassier taste to it. And mm-hmm. it has two distinct feels. So there's even, even changing rums, even changing Martinique rums can actually change the taste of a cocktail. I don't know which one I prefer better. I kind of like the St. James just because there's more flavor, uh, but it's not as smooth a cocktail. So it's, I, I say people should just experiment as often as possible. Mm-hmm. And we've also talked about before too, sometimes if you can't get, if this rum's not available to you, just use whatever one of your favorite rums you have on hand. I mean, obviously you will get a different output. Like Mark just said, even just between two different rums, you're going to get two different cocktails altogether. So yeah, you want to make sure that if you're not using the Martinique rum, that's fine. Just use something else that you have, but uh, you will get a different output. So the recipe is three ounces of Martinique rum. Yeah, that's a lot. It's boost forward. Three quarters of an ounce of lime juice, a half ounce of passion fruit syrup. Now that you can get at any specialty coffee shop. If you do use passion fruit juice, it will have a different texture to it altogether. So just remember that. A quarter ounce of Florum, which if you're in the States, you can buy it right on the shelf. But if you're in Canada and you can't get it, there is a recipe for it on our recipe page, episode 17. We have our Florum recipe. Um, By the way, Florum, if you do make it by scratch, it only lasts about a week. So don't make a big batch of it. It, Usually for a lot of the recipes, you don't need a big batch of it. But if you buy it on the shelf, it's probably got a shelf life of about a year. Didn't you say something, Mark, that you said that maybe if you do make it the, the home version that you could add to it? that may prolong the shelf life? Yeah, this was my Christmas project in between Christmas. I made a whole bunch of syrups from scratch. And what you can do to extend the life, you should still keep them in the refrigerator. So you might need a a syrup fridge instead of a beer fridge. Which I got. There you go. (laughs) Uh, You you can go to um, one of the bulk places and get citric acid and just put like a pinch of citric acid in, not a lot. They won't change the flavor, but that'll extend the life. And also what I do is I put 15% of the syrup is vodka. So once again, doesn't change the flavor, but it acts as a preserving agent. So they'll last for a couple of months. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to know. 
Did not know that. The, the other option <laughs> is just drink heavily as soon as you make your syrup. That's which right. Is not, exactly. not a bad option. Exactly. And, of course, the last thing on this is six ounces of crushed ice. Yes, crushed ice. Remember the three ounces of rum? Three, six ounces of crushed ice is three quarters of a cup. This is what you need for a three-ounce drink. Don't cut back on the ice in this case here. And try and use crushed ice again because it'll melt and make the – that'll be the important part of the week in this case here. Exactly. The dilution is an important part of a cocktail in general in any way you look at it. So, for sure. Yeah, I know. It's good. It's a good drink. I like it. It's a very good drink. I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> cool. That and about 20 other cocktails. Okay. <laughs> I would make this again, like right after the show. It's a, you're not going anywhere, right? So what the, why not? <laughs> so you said it was three ounces of Martinique rum. Uh, yes. What is Martinique rum compared to other rums? Okay, so rum, R-H-U-M, agricole, is a rum that is mostly closely tied to agriculture, hence the name. So rum is actually made from pressed sugarcane juice. So the difference between that and regular rum is that rum, regular rum is fermented from molasses, which is a byproduct when you crush sugarcane, where rum, this Martinique rum, is actually the sugarcane juice itself. Now, me and you've talked about this before, and I think you mentioned that it's also too, they have only days to process this, right? Yeah, apparently the sugarcane juice will go bad uh, even just after a couple of days, so they got to do this right away. Like, you know, start, start the vat, start the vat, start the vats kind of thing, so. Right, where like molasses, molasses has a very long shelf life, so you can take your time when you make that kind of rum. Yeah, because they used to ship the molasses out back in the old days. You know, they would, molasses was uh, the byproduct. It was the garbage stuff they normally threw away. So once they learned they could ferment that, it was just like bonus. Exactly. I, I remember reading somewhere, and it's unbelievable. They threw away millions and millions of gallons of molasses at the beginning before they realized what they had. Yeah. They would dump it into the sea. So the Black Sea, I guess. Wonder what grew there afterwards. Oh my God! I remember molasses as a, I don't know about you, but I remember molasses as a kid. You put it on like your French toast, your pancakes, or something. Yeah, pretty thick though, right? Yeah, yeah. I, that would be a, like a really cool uh, horror movie. This molasses monster coming out of the sea. Everybody dressed <laughs> up like Johnny Depp. <laughs> That's it. It's one giant blob of molasses. There you go. How do we? How do we kill it? We distill it. <laughs> Okay, we learned about Martinique. How do we make this drink? Okay, so we're actually going to blend this drink. And actually, for me, it's really cool. Is actually, over Christmas, I got a Hamilton Beach mixer. So, yes, I finally got one. And Mark, you are so right. There's so many drinks that where it says blend, it actually does mean mix. And it is a huge difference. Oh, yeah. It makes everything nice and frothy and uh, the ice, comes, especially the crushed ice, comes out perfect. It's great. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the things I noticed right away was that it aerates much more air into the drink than a blender would. Everybody should get one. They're, they're, you can find them at um, secondhand stores. You can find them uh, like the, the newer ones, not the older ones, and because mm -hmm. uh, they've, they've done retro versions of stuff and they're available handily and they're only like 10 bucks. So if you're interested in doing the, the cocktails, go out and find one. You can get them new too. They're not that expensive. No, actually mine was brand new right off of Amazon. It was probably about 80 bucks, but it's a really nice machine and it really is going to do a lot of, it's going to make a lot of cocktails this summer. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. There you go. And uh, do, you, do you garnish this in any way, shape or form, or did you garnish yours? Yeah. So you do is you pour it into a tall cons glass. Uh, you might have to add some more crushed ice if you need to. And the garnish on this is actually three cherries onto a skew. So that would look pretty. Yeah. 
Now, so you, you said you've had this, these, the two different versions of this drink so far today, and what was your take on it? The take was they're both good. The um, the VSOP is really nice because I use that, and uh, well, that ended up being our favorite rum for um, Mai Tais, half, half and half, half of the VSOP and half um, uh, Appleton's. And mm-hmm. so it made a really nice, smooth drink, whereas the St. James is kind of a rougher rum. You don't want to really drink that straight very often. And uh, so it's got more of a grassier flavor to it. Uh, grassy is not the right word, but. Like an earthy taste to it? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it has more of a, I don't know, outdoorsy flavor to it. So both are good. Um, I kind of like the earthy part, just like I kind of like peaty scotches. And so I'm kind of drawn towards the second one as opposed to the first one. Whereas I would always use the VSOP either straight or in a Mai Tai. So also too, did you mean, do you, do you also get the other layers of the passion fruit and the florum and all those things, other things come out as well? I love that uh, florum, uh, the spices, the cloves or the allspice stuff that's in there. It's just fabulous. It all comes through. It's great. It, it does taste like the Caribbean. Uh, this drink really does. And uh, big straws up. Let's <laughs> go deeper. Two straws up. There you go. So where did you find the, okay, like this is no longer on the Maikai menu. So where did you get it from? I actually got it from Jeff, the Beach Bomb Berry. Yes, a guy that we've always talked about every single episode, practically, uh, in his Sipping Safari book, which unfortunately, like I, I'm going to mention, is that just in Kindle. Uh, the reason why I say unfortunately is because when I do my research, it's much easier in Kindle to search up something really quick. Like you could just type a search, like say, you know, last rites, and it pops up right away. Where when you have the hard copy, you kind of have to do a little more digging. So, uh, but yes. On our cool links on our website, you will find the Jeff the Beach Bomberry Sipping Safari there. We're also going to add some video links on this episode as well. Uh, one guy made the last rites from scratch. Another guy made actually a batch of last rites. I could so do that. <laughs> I figured that uh, Mark will need that link for future uh, cocktails. There we go. Welcome to Mark's Adventures. Yay! So today, we, like we said, we're talking this whole episode about the Mai Kai, and we have talked about the Mai Kai before in Mark's Adventures, but we thought we'd get a little more in depth and give you guys a little more information about the Mai Kai. So Mark, how many times yourself have you been there, and when have you gone? Is there a span of duration between the time of your visits, or has it been like all one shot? Yeah, we started our um, desperately seeking tiki tours about six, seven years ago now. And the Maikai was uh, one of the places we hit on the way there. And so since then, we've been back to Fort Lauderdale area for various reasons, uh, six times. And we've been to the Maikai 15 times. Wow. Holy <laughs> now, what makes what makes the Maikai special compared to, say, other tiki bars that you've been to? I think it's the whole thing. It's like, as we mentioned earlier, it's uh, one of the tiki temples and it, it's essentially the last of the tiki temples. So you're just, it's like going to a, a Disney theme park ride or whatever. You're just completely encased in tiki and uh, mid-century and the cocktails, everything. It's huge. I mean, it's the whole thing. I mean, it's still family owned, which is really cool because you get to meet people, you get to know their names and this kind of stuff. And it's the whole thing the bar, the history, the gardens, the food, the drinks. Like I said, it's like Walt Disney World for adults though. And it's what got us hooked on Tiki. I mean, the carvings, the the, uh, the ropes in the bar, 
everything about it. I mean, the the detail, the carvings in the in the bathrooms. It's just everything about it is just amazing. The service, and uh, although Paula apparently didn't have a good time when she was there, but eh. she went too late. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, well, things happen, right? Yeah. But that's the way it is. The um, We've been there when it's been empty. We've been there when it's uh, absolutely packed. You couldn't get in. It's always been great. And uh, they've always treated us well. And the food there is just, it can't be beat. It's just like I've had some of the best food I've ever had has been there. They use the old Trader Vic version of the uh, Chinese ovens. And of course, the drinks, as we just mentioned, they go back to Don the Beachcomber and they're just fabulous. They have a great store there too, the general store. You can get stuff online. I think one of the things you mentioned right off the bat when you're talking about it is that it's like Disneyland for the adults. And so I remember when I was doing my research and I actually went onto Google Maps to see kind of like its surroundings. And it's crazy. It's almost like this like these industrial buildings, you know, obviously they're offices buildings, and then also out of nowhere, it's just like this massive jungle. Yeah. Sort of sort of almost like someone just grabbed it from the jungle and just sort of plopped it right on the street. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, like, if you if uh, the drivers that really know what they're doing will actually go in through the back street as opposed to the main drag, there's actually a residential street behind it. And mm. I was just like, I so want to live right there. You know? Exactly. <laughs> as you'd say, a crawl away. But I think also, too, one of the things that's unique about the the Maikai is that, and we've, I mean, you've had this discussion before, is that it's probably one of the only original tiki bars that still exists. Like, in other words, you look back right now at Donna Beachcombers, there's probably almost zero Donna Beachcombers left existing right now. Uh, Trader Vic's, there's a limited amount of those. But Maikai has been around since the 50s. And I'm pretty sure from all of your visits of tiki bars you've been to, it's probably one of the oldest bars you've ever been to. Yeah, it is. There's a, there's a couple that have formed in the 50s that are still around, but there's few and far between. I mean, especially these larger ones, like the the Don the Beachcomber Chicago one. I mean, it was huge. I mean, I what they say in the, one of the books there? They had 27 bartenders. It's just like, what? Uh, this place way back in the uh, the 30s uh, called uh, Clifton Clifton's Pacific Seas. They had seven water or 12 waterfalls. You know, it's just like these temples were just amazing. In Columbus, Ohio, they had this place called the Kahiki that was just huge. It looked like a, you know, like literally a temple. And they just decided, boom, it's gone. We just learned this week there's a place in Boston. It's been around since the 60s called the Kowloon, and it's a Chinese restaurant. The drinks aren't that great, but it's a really cool looking place. And they just announced they're going to be closing, tearing it down. And so they're all leaving. And one of the reasons we're going to these places was to go to try and get to as many of these places before they're gone as possible. I mean, our very first trip, we were going to go to a place and it was closed by the time we got there. The Don the Beachcombers in um, California, um, it closed while we were making our plans. I mean, you had this conversation during COVID though, the Maikai actually is doing some renovations. And so why are they doing renovations? I'm just kind of curious. They had a major flood. And then they had a major storm and a water main broke and it has caused uh, structural damage to the kitchen and uh, the building at the back. And so, which connects, of course, to the, the main building itself. They're, right now, they're trying to decide what their next step is. Uh, they have to bring in people because the, the codes have to be fit to the old buildings and that's it's a huge issue. Uh, but they're, they're selling drinks by the gallon if you're a local guy. And of course, they just had a anniversary party and they had it outside in the, in the parking lot. So they're still going as much as they can, but uh, we'll see what happens in the future. I guess like one of the things you're saying is that this is a kind of a good time for them to do this though, because with COVID and everyone being shut down, this is probably the best time to do a renovation if you can, because you've got the time and you don't have to worry about interrupting business in any way, shape or form anyways. You know what I mean? Yes. 
because uh, I was reading they did major renovations in uh, around 1970. And uh, that's when they, uh, if you see the original pictures, they have like this A-frame type roof or entrance or at the front of the street. And they enclosed that all off and made it changes and everything. But they worked everything at night so they could continue operating during the day. Okay. <laughs> it's like crazy times. And so we'll see what happens here. We're all hoping for the best. I mean, it's it is it does have historic designation, but uh, so did the Kahiki in Columbus. So we'll see. Exactly. Talk about construction. Let's talk about the size of this place and when they actually when they originally built it. So it has five dining rooms, uh, two cocktail lounges, and a thirty thousand. That's right, thirty thousand square foot garden that also includes a waterfall. So this thing is just massive. Yeah, there's it's a uh, it's wonders to walk through the whole gardens. They have a uh, they have all these uh, sculptures that keep getting replaced. Uh, the wooden ones, of course, die. The uh, eventually because it has been around for sixty five years. I mean, there's the, the famous one out front. His name was Barney. Barney finally collapsed, and he was a few years ago. So they've re- they got a new Barney. Um, and <laughs> a new little- Barney. <laughs> actually, the wife there she has a picture with Barney before he. Before Barney bit it. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've met the guy that's actually in, uh, more or less in charge of the sculptures there. And uh, he's replacing a whole bunch of them. He's he's found original uh, castings and things like that. So, he's uh, putting in more all the time, replacing the ones that are there. Because even concrete gets pitted and stuff over time, right? And exactly. uh, so, so, he's replacing those ones. Speaking about the artifacts in the place, I think at one point that we talked about in the original Maikai uh, adventures we talked about, that some of the items are uninsurable. Yeah, well, it's also the totality of all the stuff that they had there. They had all these artwork, especially, and it's just like, well, no, that's worth way too much money. Oh, so it would have cost so much money that they would insure everything there. The Baikai became uninsurable. Uh, there's these artifacts from way back when that they acquired from all over are just not available anymore. So a lot of them are now in, there's a couple of museums that they're actually hanging in. So yeah, it's pretty cool. They're still, of course. Don't worry, there's still tons of stuff crammed in there. There's hundreds of lights, hundreds of sculptures and paintings and uh, wall hangings. It's just amazing. It's just it's just crammed with stuff. I can't imagine what it was like 30 years ago. That's, what it, that's what a tiki is, is cramming stuff into a whole small space, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. There we go. All right, so let's talk about the cost. So basically back then in 1956, the cost to build the Maikai was $350,000. Now, let's put that into perspective for you people out there. For today's dollars, that'd be $3.4 million that it cost them to complete. And it was supposed to be basically the most expensive restaurant built in the USA at that time. Now, in the first year, though, they turned around and sold over a million dollars in its first year, which actually equates to, in today's dollars, nine and a half million. So they basically tripled their money in the first year after building it. Yeah, I know. Amazing how much alcohol places like that can go through. And uh, plus, of course, the shows as well, right? They, people are drinking like crazy during the show. Exactly. So let's talk about that. The, the Maikai Islander show, what exactly is that? Well, it started in uh, 1962 by uh, Marie Thornton, and uh, she was one of the dancers. And, uh, and she ended up marrying one of the Thorntons, Bob to be exact. And uh, she's actually still there. And of course, she's still an owner, and which is pretty amazing. Now, she's she's originally from Thailand herself, or, or sorry, from Tahiti herself, right? Tahiti, yeah. She's originally from Tahiti, and she was an early dancer, like we said. And by 1970, she was a choreographer and a talent recruiter and costume designer for the show, constantly going back to the South Seas to get new dancers from various islands, 
to get uh, more updated costumes and get more costumes and get more dances, get more songs. And so the, uh, the review has been updated continuously since it started in 1962. And up until recently, of course, the, uh, it's been daily and then twice daily on weekends during the snowbird season. It's the longest running Polynesian show in the USA, which includes Hawaii. Wow. That's amazing. And one of the things I think I like about it too is like I've seen some videos on Milwaukee. We'll put a link on there for our listeners is the authenticity of it. Like you said, like the costumes are authentic. The dancers are authentic. Everything about it, even the mus- musicians, the percussion and the background is all authentic. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's an amazing place. And uh, if anybody gets a chance to go, they should go. Hopefully it'll reopen shortly and people will be able to get down there. So what did you think of the, the cocktails? I know you just talked briefly about the food there earlier, but what about the cocktails themselves? And from, from your first visit to the second, like your latest visit, like have you seen progression of the menu? They've only had one change of menu uh, since I've been there. And they don't change a lot because it's like you go to a place and you want that cocktail. So very few have disappeared, but you can see that they've added more things uh, to keep it uh, current like different martinis that you wouldn't Mm -hmm. have seen 30 years ago, like chocolate martinis and stuff like that. Those are now a part of the menu. So they are being current as much as possible. Didn't you also mention too, uh, in our conversation that there's probably a special weekend or something, whatever, that all the lost cocktails kind of come back out for a weekend? Yeah, they have a uh, lost cocktails weekends where they'll have four or five cocktails that are, or three to five. We'll say three to five because this is my second last rites. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll have something like the last rites or something from around the, the mid, the early to mid sixties that hasn't been on the menu in 30 years. They'll bring that out uh, for the weekend. Um, I'm the same way. So when I'm a bartender and people ask me for some drinks that we may have had on even an old menu or something, if I have all the ingredients, definitely I'll make it for them for sure. But like you said, menus do progress. Menus do move on into newer drinks there's new techniques out there. So yeah, some things happen. Like he's like, we've, I mean, in the last few years alone is infusions and things like that have become more popular. So those also become the highlights of the menu. Yeah. For me, it's the, uh, the black magic and, um, what's the other one? Uh, the hookalai specials for Linda. There's a couple of those like that. Just, and the, the rum barrel, their version of the rum barrel. Oh, there's the list goes on and on. I, I did make the mistake once. There was a one of the drinks that's a, it's a shareable drink, and I had purchased it to share, and then that person left. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> Although they just got interested in something else, uh, which is what happens at places like that. And uh, so I didn't share, and that was a mistake. <laughs> that's a Mark mistake right there. Uh, yes. Yeah, I won't blame anybody else for that one. But you also mentioned too, I think before is also, and I just let some people know, because some people get intimidated by tiki drinks and how my booze for they might be, is that on this menu, especially every single tiki drink that's on there has a, a rating, either strong, medium, or weak, right? Yes, exactly. There are the whole sections of strong, medium. There are also, uh, of course, section for non-alcoholic, like, but there is the uh, strong, weak, and uh, not so strong and weak. And uh, they're all good. I mean, I think it goes from one ounce to... One and a half ounces, then like two ounces to like four. Yeah. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, we went started going through all the stuff we hadn't had. And that was fun too. Okay, we haven't had one of these ever. And uh, then they said, oh, you should try this. What is this? Oh, it's off menu. Oh, 
All right, so yeah, so there's some more information about the Maikai and uh, Mark's adventures. Uh, so there you go. If you're in that neighborhood after COVID, of course, then go check it out. And we'll also have some more information on Mark's page. We'll add more information that we've got on the show to his page. Did you know? I did not. I did not. I did not. There you go. <laughs> what happens when it's just one person? That's it. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so let's talk more about Mariano Liquidini. That's the bartender that we are talking about this entire episode for the, Mar- for the Maikai. Some cool information. And one of the, the cool facts I found off right off the bat for me was that actually he used to serve Lauren Hardy back in the 30s. So he used to be his private chauffeur and bartender at the same time. Oh, what a cool job. I did not know that. There you go. And if you don't know who Lauren Hardy is, uh, so what it was is back in the 30s in the black and white era was those Lauren Hardy, there was Abba Costello, there was the Marx Brothers, and Charlie Chaplin. And every Saturday morning, I would get up, and that's actually what I would watch for the first part of my morning, was these, these four major productions. And they did an amazing job back then, and definitely was something that cherishes to me from my, my childhood. Uh, what did you watch on Saturday mornings, Mark, when you were a kid? Oh, they were really bad because I was I grew up uh, in the Ottawa Valley and we only had one channel. And so it, whatever it was, I remember it being horrible. But going to Toronto as a child, it would just be like, oh, look at all the channels. Look at all the shows. Oh, my God. So um, I would have to say I watched nothing. Because <laughs> you're saying look at all the channels, which is probably in your situation was maybe six channels. They would have had all 13, right? And uh, where I grew up, we had one. I remember some of the Warner Brother ones, but uh, we didn't have very many. So there would have been like Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear and that kind of stuff. I just remember Bugs Bunny was like the coolest thing because Y Coyote, they always would like, you know, show them like landing or falling or whatever. And then it got to a point where they were like, well, no, we don't want kids to see violence. So they actually cut. So when Y Coyote would fall, they cut him so you wouldn't see him land. Because heaven forbid, we don't want to see him land and hurt himself. Yeah, I know. The Warner Brothers cartoons, as probably most people know, were actually made for adults. And they were shown in theaters. And so by the time they got to the 60s or the 50s where they were putting them on television, they cut them either for time or for whatever. And it just didn't have the – they were good. And you got to see the Barber of Seville a number of times. But that I didn't get to see that stuff until I was like 12. <laughs> So, let's go back to some other cool facts now we've gone. So, Mariano actually was one of 14 kids in his family. Oh, my God. That's a lot. Yeah. And uh, so, the next fact I got here is Mariano married Eva Ryan. And what is the cool fact about this is that all of her girlfriends end up marrying Mariano's cousins. Oh, my goodness. So, talk about a tight fit family. Oh, my God. That must have been cool, like Christmases and stuff down there. All the food and drinking that was available. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome. And like we talked about before, Mariano, when he was at the Don's, was always kind of in the background. Like all the bartenders were at that situation where they were in the background. Nobody saw them. And then when he went to Maikai, he became more of the foreground. And so, he actually joined the company's bowling team and golf tournaments he also did do as well. Well, when we did the thing when we talked about the uh, the Derby Daiquiri, they pushed him forward. Mariano was part of their advertising. You know, come to the Maikai and have ama- amazing drinks from Mariano. When he was at Don the Beachcombers, they probably didn't even see anybody. He was a great host for sure. And uh, he served, I think, 30 years he was there for the Maikai. I remember seeing a picture of him getting a plaque from the brothers there for retirement. Uh, so, it's pretty cool. He actually ended his career at the Maikai. Yeah, that would have been good. I wish I was 
Older? No, I don't. I'd be really old then. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want that right now. Not with COVID. (laughs) Yeah, because I missed all this stuff because I assumed it was all gone. And of course, my family wasn't interested. And of course, we live up here in uh, Tundra Land, so I didn't even know any of this stuff was around. So. Yeah, I got to say it's 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 unfortunate that uh, Tiki came into my life just like I'm sure for yours later in life. Like it wasn't when I was in my 20s or my 30s, but it's later on down the line. So it's like I wish, like you said, like somehow I knew earlier so that I could have experienced some of these places that uh, either A, don't exist anymore or B, I would have had the time to travel. Yeah, well, a lot of this stuff was already gone by then too. You have to remember that this was – a lot of the stuff was just like, – these guys kind of just hung on. There wasn't a lot of Tiki – after 75, I mean, most of the Trader Vicks were gone. The uh, Montreal Contiki was still there, but it didn't last much longer either. So, a lot of these places, wouldn't, even if we knew about it, were already gone. It's great that they're getting their – the ones that are here are still here, and the ones that are popping up are awesome, which is good. But I think you can agree, though, the bulk of our Tiki that we see now popping up in the last, say, the 90s and then the millennium – is not up in the north. It's it's down south in the California and the Florida area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still have to – I love to go to spend as much time as possible in San Francisco. Uh, back then and just even a few years ago would have been awesome. Exactly. Yeah. So, that is our show, folks. So, tons of information here about the Mai Kai, about the Last Rite Cocktail, and, of course, Mariel Liquidini. Yay, and so, Yay. Thank you, Mariel, for all the cocktails. And, God, we're enjoying today anyways. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so that's all the information about our show. Let's tell everybody who we are. We're www.tikicentralcanada.ca. Or .com. There we go. And on that page, you will see all the information about this episode. You will also see the recipe to this episode. There's all kinds of information there. Mark's adventures will be updated. We'll update that for you guys. And uh, also, too, look out for our newsletter. Our newsletter will come out soon. A new one for the new year. So uh, we'll have that issued to you soon. Uh, we also do have our episode and recipe page, which is very easy to navigate through. And tons of information there for you. The Cool Links page, we just talked about Jeff the Beach Bomberry. That's a good place to go look for research if you're looking for any research. And, uh, yeah, a subscribe page. So, please do subscribe. We are driven by our subscribers. Please. Yes, please. please. If Paula's here, she would be begging for your – But she's not getting any sleep now. No, I know. She's probably getting, like, zero sleep. So, uh, that you know, (laughs) hang in there, Paula. We know you're trying your best. Anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's all we got for the show. I think we're going to go off. I know Mark's going to go off and make another Last Rites. I think so. It should be my last Last Rites, though. See, this is like your third Last Rites. You're like you've died and come back. Like you said, a zombie. I had to share one. It's not fair. Oh. Well, that's what you do when you're married. You share things. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, jeez. What's yours is hers, and what's hers is hers. If you haven't figured that out yet. Anyway, folks, we're going to go off and make some drinks and uh, stay tuned to the next show. See ya. Mahalo. Well, I don't know about you, but I got informed. Guys, hey, guys, where's my drink? That's right. You did something you weren't supposed to do. Yeah. What? Gee, what? Oh, did I take off my clothes again? Jesus Christ. Where am I? Where's my pants? I'm sorry, sir. You did not come here with pants. That's right. No pants. Oh, jeez.